It is time for Global News Watch. A look at the international headlines. Joining us here in the studio is Nicholas Moore. Good morning to you. Hi, thanks for having me, Henry. Well, we're going to start off in Russia. The past uh, Saturday was the third in a row with protests taking place in the eastern city of Khabarovsk. Uh, at issue is the arrest of this popular governor by the name of Sergei Furgal on what people uh, are considering to be spurious uh, murder charges, mm-hmm. which extend back as far as 2004. That's right. And good pronunciation, by the way. Uh, These protests have grown in every subsequent week, with uh, officials saying that last Saturday, uh, 6,500 marched on the streets against government intervention, but local media puts that number between 15 and 20,000 instead. Mr. Fergal was arrested for ordering the murders of several businessmen in the region some 15 years ago, but many see these quite delayed charges as fraudulent and part of a larger government crackdown on voices that dissent from the ruling party, which is something that we'll get into shortly. Mm. Uh, Not only did residents come out in support of the popular former governor, but they also carried signs demanding freedom, uh, asking that President Vladimir Putin step down. And showing dissent against the governor's replacement, which was uh, who was appointed by the Kremlin after spending none of his life in the region. That is acting governor Mikhail Diktaryov, and he says he will not step down. He accuses outside instigators of flying into the region for the opportunity to protest, claiming that those protesters don't reflect the will of the larger population. Uh, The results of a nationwide vote on July 1st mean that Mr. Putin can now potentially remain in power through 2036. And now Russia's powerful investigative committee has moved forward with several cases against opposition voices. For Fergal's case, um, he won a landslide election in 2018 against a member of Putin's party. And that was a major embarrassment that government critics say is now being rectified through these charges. It's a bit trepidatious to go against uh, the powers that be in Russia. We've seen activists, independent media voices that have been charged with a range of crimes uh, over the past month. Uh, One deputy director of Human Rights Watch thinks this uh, investigative committee is trying to send a pretty clear and stark warning or message to those who dissent against Putin. Right, with the background of how long Putin could be in power. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the case once again against uh, Pyotr Versilov. He's a member of the activist group uh, Pussy Riot and a publisher of an unassociated media outlet. Mr. Versilov claims that a serious illness he came down with back in 2018 was an attempted poisoning murder by authorities as punishment for embarrassing Putin at the World Cup by invading the pitch. On June 21st of this year, police searched his apartment for hours and seized all of his electronics, and then seven more searches followed, with the only one resulting charge from the investigation being for having an undeclared Canadian passport. Then we have the case of journalist Svetlana Prokopia. She was convicted of propaganda justifying terrorism on July 6th. This was for writing an article about a boy who suicide-bombed the outside of the Federal Security Service headquarters partially blaming the government uh, in her article for restricting uh, channels of protest. And then there's the case of a gulag historian, Yuri Dmitriev, who was acquitted of child abuse charges back in 2018, but then his case was brought to court once again, and prosecutors have won a three-year prison stint for him last Wednesday. He was convicted guilty of sexual assault. A Putin spokesperson claims that Russian counterintelligence is very busy, has a lot of tasks, and does its job very well, but detractors claim there's too much discretion on these unclear laws and too much puppeteering from the top. So we got all that uh, public uproar in Russia. Uh, 
Similarly to Putin, another very embattled president facing a lot of public uproar is the U.S. President Donald Trump. Those two actually met last Thursday to discuss the uh, coronavirus and uh, other issues as well, uh, Iran's nuclear program and the emerging nuclear power that is known as China. Right, and let's focus on China for a moment. China has a nuclear arsenal of about 300 nuclear warheads, but that frightening number is still just a fraction, one-twentieth of America's total. The U.S. wants Russia and China to sign on to a new arms control treaty, but China has taken exception, insisting that America first match China's number of warheads before proceeding with talks. The Kremlin, but not Washington, also confirmed that the two sides did talk over Iran's nuclear program. Right. It's often the Kremlin that uh, beats uh, the U.S. to the story of these uh, meetings that take place between the two. Uh, Staying with the U.S. uh, tangentially here, Nicholas, for our next story, Mm -hmm. Germany, uh, which actually holds the uh, rotating G7 presidency currently, uh, they've uh, flat out rejected uh, Mm -hmm. the uh, president Donald Trump's idea to let Russia back into this exclusive group. Uh, This, according to the foreign Minister Heiko Maas, uh, it remains part of the G20, though. Right. Russia was kicked out of the Group of Seven Advanced Economies after it illegally annexed uh, Ukraine's eastern Crimea region back in 2014. And so Germany's decision reflects the fact that no progress has been made on that primary issue. And furthermore, they say that Russia should feel obligated to help bring other conflicts to a close in Syria and Libya. Mr. Moss reiterated that it is chi- uh, sorry, it is Russia that needs to make its own contributions, <clears throat> and that membership in both the G7 and G20 is already sensibly coordinated. Russia has repeatedly denied holding any cooperative talks on the topic of rejoining the framework. Right. So Trump has raised this possibility of expanding the scope of. The G7 a few months ago, uh, the U.S. was supposed to host it. I think he wanted some kind of big show that I've brought all these world leaders together and maybe to entice uh, this or facilitate this. He mentioned expanding it to Russia, but also included other countries like Mm. India, Australia and South Korea. Uh, The fact that Germany has rejected the expansion plan um, led to a lot of Korean media reporting here, sort of pointing the finger of blame at uh, Germany for uh, rejecting the idea that South Korea should join this exclusive group. The question, though, is um, should Koreans actually take this personally uh, as some kind of an affront by uh, Germany? Right. Well, yeah, I don't think that this was so directed of an action at South Korea. Um, According to the interview by Germany's foreign minister, Moss, he mainly seems to be rejecting the idea to let back in Russia. And the idea of uh, Korea joining is just tangential to that. Um, And when Trump called Korean President Moon Jae-in on on, uh, June 1st and invited him to the summit uh, to be held in the U.S. at the end of the year, uh, Mr. Moon did immediately respond yes. But America also hasn't come out with exact details about the summit. But then we have uh, Korea's National Security Council last week discussing the issue in a standing meeting, concurring with the president that they would respond actively to the idea as it continues to to develop, even though that seems like a a foregone conclusion now. Uh, The other G7 members are Italy, Japan, Britain, Canada, Germany, and France. And listeners may recall that Japan did speak out against Korea's invitation, saying that Korea's stance on China and North Korea were not in line with the other members. Yeah, so... uh Germany, most likely not very 
into being petty in regards mm-hmm. to South Korea being in or out of the uh, G7 group. Japan, I think we can clearly say, <laughs> personally would not want to see uh, Korea uh, be a member of this uh, uh, grouping. But again, we'll have to see how this all unfolds. Uh, let's uh, turn to a related story on Europe's response to Hong Kong's uh, controversial national security law imposed by Beijing. The U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, seems to criticize Germany on this as well. Uh, what's generally been the response from both Germany and China? Right. Well, Mr. Pompeo <clears throat> said that, quote, some nations lack the courage to stand up with us for freedom in Hong Kong because they fear Beijing will restrict access to China's market. So German Foreign Minister Moss did address his Chinese counterpart directly, saying it was important to maintain the one country, two systems framework under which Hong Kong was given back to China. Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel has, however, rejected the idea of expanding asylum measures for immigration from Hong Kong, saying that the existing framework was sufficient. Pompeo's speech last week was also a bit kind of defeatist, Mm. saying that this empty engagement with China needed to be brought to an end. And to that, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi asked third-party countries not to take a side in this ideological confrontation. He says it's been deliberately created by anti-China forces in Washington. Right. Well, uh, that proxy battle seems to be uh, ongoing there between the U.S. and China. Nicholas, we're going to leave it there, but uh, apparently you have graciously agreed to uh, do this for us uh, twice a week. So we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. That's right. Thanks. See you again.